Well, we're continuing our uh, series in Hebrews. Um, everything starts with Jesus. Um, I'm hoping that I can get one more week out of it, but we do have a series on the, the fruits of the Spirit coming up. Um, and so we're not going to finish Hebrews this summer. We're going to wait until next summer, and then we'll uh, do the second half. Uh, but I'd like to get one more in. So um, I have a friend that I write sermons with in Minnesota, Mike, and so he and I are going to talk this week and decide. But one way or another, it'll, everything starts with Jesus next week, or we'll start on the fruits of the Spirit. One way or another, it's going to be awesome. Let's just jump right in. Uh, this is Hebrews 6. Um, NIV version, even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. The things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you've shown him as you've helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. This is kind of a, an exhortation, like, hey, this is what we need from you guys. And there's a reason for that. It's because just before this, we've had one of the most controversial texts in the New Testament. Um, and I, I've highlighted here the, the, the spit where he says, even though we speak like this. It's because the author of Hebrews has just said some stuff that's pretty intense. Um, we're not going to deal with it here, um, but I do want you to know what it's about and if you go ahead and open up your Bibles or pull them up on your phone and you read through Hebrews 6 and you go right before this text, you will see that there is a, there's some stuff that could be concerning. And let me explain what it, what it is. There, there's a controversy. Uh, and Marilyn, next slide, please. There's been a massive controversy about what, uh, who gets salvation and how, how much uh, you, you can trust that you have it. Okay, uh, the question of assurance. And that's because uh, the Roman Catholic Church had a very um, kind of, work, we would think of it as, as works-based uh, belief system. Like if you get baptized and you do confession and you get last rites, then, then that's what guarantees you a place in heaven or purgatory. And if you don't, then that's what sends you to hell. Uh, the Protestant reformers said no. They got back to the text. They realized that uh, the Gospel of John, Jesus says, all you have to do is believe and then you will be saved. And all Protestants agree on that. You just believe and then you're saved. However, there is the problem of naughty Christians or Christians who give up. And we all know someone like this. A person who, who came into church and, and believed um, and was active, but then something happened. Something happened in their lives that they just couldn't um, understand. And, and slowly, and, or maybe all at once, they just stopped believing and ran away. And, and sometimes they live really nice, good, moral lives. Other times, they really rebel against the way of God. And the question is, what happens to them? Now, in the Catholic view, that's pretty easy because they're not doing the sacraments. And so they're going to the naughty place. But for Protestants, it's a little more confusing. And the previous text is one that um, is most popular amongst uh, what are called Arminians. And that's a number three. So here are the three views in Protestantism. Number one, grace, God never lets go, ever, no matter what. Once you believe, once you've believed in Jesus, God holds on to you regardless of what happens after that. And there's some consequences which we'll actually talk about at the end of the sermon, but that's where we are at Coast Bible Church. At Coast, we believe once you believe, God has you and God will never quit on you. And that is, ne that will never change. There's nothing you can do about that because it's really not about you. It's about His faithfulness, not about your faithfulness. It's about him being true to the words that he says. 
And that's, that's what we believe. Uh, there's a, a, another popular view, especially in Reformed and Neoformed tradi- reform traditions, which says, if you fail, you never really believed to begin with. So if someone, it looks like they're a Christian, but then if, if they later go off the path and, and do different things, it was all fake. It didn't really happen. And so in, in these traditions, people are always wondering, like, am I really saved? I mean, do I really believe? I don't know. And then the last one, the Arminian version, is if you don't use it, you lose it. I haven't spoken Japanese in a long time, and as a result, I can't really speak Japanese anymore. I have a few things I can understand a little bit, but I just don't have it uh, compared to what I was, you know, 20 years ago. And the same thing happens with Christianity. If, if, if you don't keep going with the faith, you're, you lose it. it you lose uh, your redemption. That's the Arminian view. And if you read the previous text, you will see why the Arminians love to use that text. I'm not dealing with it here, but again, Tom at coastbible.org, if you're interested or this piques your interest or worries you, give me a call or, or email me this week, and I would love to explain why we believe what we believe and how best to understand uh, the previous text. And the reason for that is because, the reason we're not dealing with it here is because look at what the author says. The author doesn't say you need to worry about this. Why? Because, dear friends, beloved, we are convinced of better things for you. Just as the author of Hebrews believed his people didn't need to worry about it, I don't, need to, I don't think you need to worry about it. Because I, I think that God's got better things for us than to worry about whether or not we finish or whether or not we stick with it. I, I think that instead what's going to happen here and what has been happening here is that we are going to do really well in the things that have to do with salvation. Now, a couple things here. I, I've told you before that Hebrews uh, has a very elegant handle on, on Greek, and that's true. And that comes across in this phrase, the things that have to do with salvation. That uh, in Greek, um, that is uh, peri echo soteria. Peri means things about or concerning. And uh, echo is uh, a participle meaning um, the things that hold, holding stuff, holding things. And then soteria means salvation. So a really, like a really wooden way to, to read this would be like, um, the, all, about all the things that are holding bits of salvation. Why is the author thinking that way? Well, because soteria, salvation, doesn't just mean, and this is one of the reasons I don't want to deal with the previous text right now, it doesn't just mean heaven and hell. Salvation's like way bigger than that. Like we, a lot of times we focus on it because we're, you know, people worry about who's in, who's out. Um, but really the New Testament doesn't worry about it that much at all. In fact, the New Testament's mostly worried about all the other things that need saving in us. If, if all we're, if the only thing we're thinking about is, is heaven and hell, we're missing out what God has. What God wants is for all the parts of us that aren't like Jesus to get <laughs> But the, the idea for the author of Hebrews is like there's so much that has to do with salvation. And he's confident that those truths, those concepts, those understandings, they are going to happen. They're going to get buried deep in our hearts. And to kind of get an idea maybe of why he uses this language, um, we went to Disneyland uh, in California Adventure on like August 20th. And uh, uh, some of the, the Ballingers, Ryder and Max, were with us. And they're, they're like teen, preteen. And we were walking by one of the stores, of which Disney has many. And they looked in the, in the window, and there was like Halloween attire. Like shirts with pumpkins on them. And, and this, this was August 20th. I mean, we hadn't even hit September yet. Kids still weren't in school. 
And already Disney's pumping out the orange stuff. And Ryder's like, dude, that's lame. Like, and Max was like, yeah, that's lame. And I was like, yeah, that's lame. What I know that they don't is that a lot of people, especially women, like to plan ahead. And so they, they're thinking about their, uh, their October outfits way before October. I don't think about what I'm wearing until like I start to put it on. That's not the way it is with girls, guys. I'm just letting you know. And that's why it happens. So in, in that spirit, let's talk a little bit about Christmas right now, right? Let's talk. I mean, it's August, or September, September, Jesus. So, I can't believe it. Uh, it's, it's, it's September, time to start thinking about Christmas. Uh, one of the interesting mysteries about Christmas is how it is that Santa is able to get all of the presents uh, to the kids, how he can carry them all. Because, I mean, presumably there's, you know, hundred, literally hundreds of millions, maybe billions of people on the planet who celebrate Christmas. And so in order, in order for Santa to supply all that, something wild must be going on. And so in the lore of Santa Claus, we've come to the conclusion that his bag is magic. It's a magic bag, and it never runs out of presents. So as Santa drops a present off at your house, then another, like magically more, from another dimension, more presents come up inside the bag. The idea being that every single present is exciting, but there's no end to them. There, there's no, there's, Santa's never worried about running out of more presents. Well, in the same way that a box, a boxes of presents hold a present, the author of Hebrews thinks that the truths of Jesus Christ, the truth about the gospel, the truth about the cross, the truth about Jesus' life, the truth about the resurrection, it never runs out. If you grasp one thing about Jesus and what he's done, there's always going to be more to find out. You can just keep diving in. The, the, the containers, they have endless depth of truth. That's the first thing in your note sheets. There are endless depths to the presence holding God's salvation. And this matters because one of the things the author of Hebrews thinks is he thinks that the more you dive in and the more, the more truth you discover and is revealed to you about what Jesus has done and who he is, the more in love you're going to fall with God. Let me give you an example. So one of the ways that we think about salvation is we think, okay, um, we sin, right? And sin really bothers God, like a, is a super offensive to God, and it has to be paid for. And we think that what Jesus does on the cross is he pays for our sin. Someone has to die. Death has to be addressed. He does it for us. And that is beautiful. That is awesome. And that's true. But that's not the only way to think about what happens on the cross. There's more. There's more truth to pull out. For example, we know that sin takes control of our lives. Sin and death rule us. In fact, it's like being in chains. We can't break away. No matter how hard we try, we, we keep going back. And, and it's like, can we ever get free? Well, one of the things we say, one of the things we believe is that that, that, that chain, that death, that power that's over us, when G- Jesus takes that down with him into the grave, he destroys it. He puts death to death. He breaks those chains. And now, with the gift of the Spirit, we have the possibility of being free. That is a different thing, but it's beautiful and it's powerful. It's another asset, another, another aspect or facet of the glory and the majesty of what God does in Jesus. And the author of Hebrews says, the more you understand of those, the more you hear about those, the more you meditate on those, the more you're going to fall in love with God. Let's go back to the text, man, and skip those, um, 
those questions. I want to I hit, hit right on this. Look at what's going to happen. God is not unjust. You dive in. I'm confident you're going to. You're going to see the endless depths of salvation. You're going to be swimming in it. You're going to be diving in it. And what's going to happen is God will not forget your work and what the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. You dive in. You see what Jesus has done. And then love for God, love for Jesus, excitement, power in the spirit. And what did you do that? What, what, what happens when that wells up within you? You help God's people and continue to help them. The word there under helped and continue to help is uh, diakoneo. It's a... Uh, has a cognate noun, a diacon, uh, diaconia. Diaconia best translates as like an assistant, like a helper, like someone that's kind of always there at your side um, to, to do the things that need doing. I don't know, uh, has anyone here seen uh, The Devil Wears Prada? I mean, great film. It's a great movie. Like, it, but, one of the things that weirds me out about the Devil Burst Prada, that came out in like 2003 or something like that. Nowadays, isn't, have you heard like all the complaints about how there's no strong women in movies and how like women have to be shown as like ultra powerful in movies to like demonstrate how great women are? I'm like, dude, go back to 2003, 20 years ago, like, like th- th- this movie depicts the most interesting, like powerful, competent, and yet deeply human and flawed individual. It's just super compelling. And I, I wish that, you know, history still existed for Hollywood, but. We do what we can. The, the movie is about uh, an assistant to, um, they don't call her Anna Wintour, but she's based on Anna Wintour. It's based on a true story. There was a Cornell grad, and she got a job as Anna Wintour. She, Anna Wintour is the uh, editor-in-chief of, of Vogue, or at least was, um, as her executive assistant. And the story of the movie is that this new young executive assistant right out of college, she wants to be a writer. She doesn't really even care about fashion. Uh, but she's thrown into this world where fashion is like, it's basically like God. It is like the most important thing. There, nothing could be more important than fashion. And at the height, at the, the, the very pinnacle of fashion is Vogue magazine. The magazine that t- makes all the taste, that, that demonstrates what, what really, really is going to be in and how to truly be beautiful and all the things. And, and at the person who's in charge of all that is Anna Wintour, this young girl's boss. And as a result of, of her position, Anna Wintour is under tremendous pressure. It, all of the fashion world is focused on her. If she makes a single mistake, all of fashion will explode and die. That's, that's, the stakes are that high. And so she's, she's busy, she's, she's angry, she's pressure, she's stressed, she has a million things to do. And in order to survive, in order to make it through the day, she needs somebody who does like everything. And so this young executive assistant, she, she starts out the day by, yes, getting coffee, and she does have to order food, but she's also in charge of making sure that all of the, the copy editing gets done, all the, the possible new uh, dresses and, and shoes and hats are available for Anna Wintour to look. She, she is like, she, if she disappears, if she's pulled out, if she does a bad job, fashion fails, Anna Wintour fails, there will no, be no Vogue magazine. The author of Hebrews thinks about spirituality in very much the same way. I mean, imagine what the goal of spirituality is, like to become like Jesus. 
in these messed up, dirty, screwed up bodies. Like that is an overwhelming task. There's so much that goes into that to make it possible for us to do and be who God wants us to be. We need help. We need an assistant or assistance. If we try to go it alone and the whole thing's going to fall apart. The author of Hebrews says, you fall in love with God, you fall in love with his salvation, what you'll want, what you should be attracted to, and what you should go after is assisting, carrying along this, this incredible load that your brothers and sisters have to become the person Jesus wants them to be. So the next thing you know, Jesus, everyone needs spiritual assistant to become like Jesus. Well, if that's true, who is it? Just got a couple of questions here, and the first one is, who is it? Now, assisting you spiritually, that doesn't necessarily mean like teaching you how to pray, although it can. It doesn't mean necessarily teaching you how to read the Bible, but it can. Sometimes a spiritual assistant is the one who just makes it so you're not alone anymore. The person who hears what you're going through and sits with you. The one who drops off a meal when you need it. The one who walks with you when you're facing the hardest trials of your life. The one who hears you when you fail. Who do you have? Next question. Assuming that you have someone like this in your life, and if you don't, boy, you need it. We'll talk about that. Is it intentional or is it informal? See, you, you might have somebody in your life who, who guides you, but it might not be like a, like a super formal thing, like this is my spiritual mentor that is teaching me how to be like Jesus. Or it, it might, and both are fine. The only question is, are you becoming more like Jesus? Are you falling more in love with God? Are you seeing more of the beauty of who God is and what God's like? If not, then maybe that informal thing needs to become an intentional or vice versa, or maybe you just need to find somebody. But man, let's take a, an inventory here and say, how are we doing? And the last question is, who are you assisting? Last week, we talked about, we've got the meats. There's a lot of spiritual depth in this conversation, in this congregation, but that doesn't matter if we're not sharing it. That's not helpful if you're just keeping all of your spiritual stuff to yourself and you're, you're just doing you. I mean, that's great, like, good job, but there's a lot of people around you with needs. Assisting spiritually can be anything. It can be, sometimes it's money, sometimes you have a need. Like, and you need someone around you to help you out? Bro, if you have an ish right now in this congregation, you're facing some, something you don't think you can handle, you gotta let me know. We got people who will come alongside you. They'll assist you. Maybe, you know, I got a video here. Um, our, our friends from Camp Allendale, if, if you don't know Camp Allendale, they're um, a couple from our congregation in the 80s went and, and developed a camp for children who were neglected or abused in Orange County. 
And uh, we just got an update from them, and I'd like to share it with you because they could use some spiritual assistance. Hi, friends of Camp Allendale. It is Tyler, and I just wanted to give you guys an update on summer and of Hurricane Hillary. Um, we just finished up our summer camp season a couple weeks ago, and it was filled with kids accepting the gospel and building friendships and playing games and just getting to see kids be kids. Um, but ultimately, I wanted to give more of an update on how things are going uh, post Hurricane Hillary. A week after summer camp ended, we started shutting things down and preparing for the incoming Hurricane Hillary. We got evacuation orders on Saturday and all of our on-site staff were able to make it safely down the mountain before the storm hit on Sunday night. When the storm hit the mountain, it caused mass flooding in our area. The river rose so much that it took out the roads and many other cabins, buildings, and trees in our area. Most of the staff members and I made it up to camp the day after the storm to assess the damage. Overall, this is what we're dealing with. The river washed out large portions of the road in and out of camp. The water flooded the main residence and took out the garage and deck, and four cabins in the girls' cabin area were moved by the current, with some of them crashing into each other. It was tough news to face, but we're not going to give up. As of right now, it is only two days after the storm, and we are already working to get things moving. We are going to continue to work hard to get through this and prepare for what lies ahead. We know that we can trust God with our future, and there is nothing to worry or be anxious about. We know that God works all things for the good of those who love and are called according to his purpose. Please pray with us as we navigate these issues moving forward. If there's some way that you would like to get involved in helping, please give us a call or message us on Instagram or Facebook. God bless. I'm going to give Tyler a call. He was just here like uh, last year. He, he, he came and we got to meet him and, and talk to him. But I'm going to give Tyler a call this week. And I'm going to find out what we can do. And I'm asking this congregation to be ready to offer assistance. Some of that might be monetary, but a lot of it, I think, is going to be making the trip and, and getting tired and sweaty. But we've got to be behind these people. We've got to be with them. They need us right now. The kids who have been neglected and abused, who are looking for one safe place in their life, need us right now. Let's go back to the text. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end. We don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. It, and we all know this. Like it, it's, it, it, When you first believe or when God does some amazing thing in your life, at the very beginning, you're like, woohoo, I can't wait. But then the slog comes in. We talked a little bit about it last week because you're dealing with people and people are messy and people are hard. People take two steps forward and then one, two, three steps back. And so that, that can wear on us. And the author of Hebrews knows that. And so he's like, I want you to come up with a plan so that you don't get complacent. And what is that plan? Imitate those who through faith and patience inherit. Look around and find the people who have it. I told you this story before, but when I was in seminary, I had a buddy, Mike, and I didn't know, I don't know why Mike, I, I didn't understand why he started to hang out with me, because by nature, I'm a super big nerd. Like, I'm a, I'm a total dork. I, I just geek out on, on academia and reading and all the things. And this guy was like a college swimmer. He was like a fun guy, like super cool. But one day after class, he's like, hey, man, uh, I'm Mike. What's going on? I'm like, I'm Tom. Hello. And he's like, uh, we, should, we, should do, we should study together. I was like, all right. 
So I needed a friend, and I was good at Greek, and so I started, we started studying Greek together. And I don't know, maybe six months later, we'd become really good friends. He even helped me get out of my terrible apartment into one that was much better next door to him. He uh, helped me by bringing me coffee in the morning and cleaning my room because I was just a complete mess of, of a human being. He was really straightening me out, and I'm just like, dude, what, what happened here? How did this happen? And Mike says, he says, well, my dad always told me, Mike, you're not that bright, but you're tenacious and you've got charisma. So what you're going to do in life in order to be successful is you're going to find somebody who's better than you at stuff. That person's going to be your rabbit and you're going to chase that rabbit wherever they go. That was me. I was the rabbit, a cute little bunny, good at Greek. Good at, good at academics. Mike, not so great. Didn't, didn't really love studying or reading. But he figured if, if I chase my rabbit, if I go after Tom, then I'm gonna, some of that's gonna like filter down. And it did! He actually did pretty well in seminary for a guy who like had absolutely no interest in, in learning anything. He did really, really well because every time, Tom, what does this mean? How do I do this? And I'm like, ah, I like talking about this dork stuff. Sure, why not? That's exactly what the author of Hebrews says. He says, if you start to get complacent, if you start to get lazy, falling behind when it comes to assisting or being assisted, look for the people around, look, find your rabbit. Find the person around you that's like, that's done the, the deed, who's, who's gone for it, who has the energy, who's quick and nimble, and chase that person. Go after the, imitate that person, make friends with that person, live with that person, do life with that person, and it'll rub off on you. You will become like your friends. The third thing in our note sheets, chase your rabbit. If you're curious, maybe you're newer to our congregation, you're not sure who the rabbits are around here, I'll tell you. I know, I know who's, who's, who's in it to win it. I, I know who's, who's got the, the, the time, put the energy in, who hasn't flagged, who's shown faithfulness, who's a prayer warrior, who loves people, who goes after. I know, I know. You want to find that person? I'll, I'll point you to him. In fact, some of you rabbits... I'm meeting with uh, Adam Griffin. Adam, raise your hand. We're going to meet, we're, uh, we're going to start putting together, we don't know, maybe the prayer and care team. Uh, I put together a list of as, as many people as I could I, 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 in our congregation where I was like, you know, these people seem like, Colleen and I did this, like they, they could use connection, they could use help in this. And uh, Adam and I are going to meet, we're going to go through that list, we're going to recruit some people and we're going to go out and we're going we're gonna to offer assistance. We're going to pick up the phone and call you and bother you. Until you find what you need. There's one final detail I just don't want us to miss because it, it's, 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 it's deep in this text. So let's go back. And I've just highlighted two words here, fully and inherit. Earlier on we were talking about, um, you know, the... the issue about salvation, right? Some people think that once you're saved, you're always saved. God never lets go. That's us. Some people think that if you fail or flag, then you were never really a believer to begin with. That's not us. Some people think that if you give up and and get weak and, and lazy, then God abandons you. That's not us. But there's a question that people like us get asked all the time. And it's this. They're like, hey, okay, so what's the incentive to like, you know, keep staying faithful like 
And what happens if people don't? Are there any consequences? I mean, you say they still get to, you know, go to heaven. Like, why, why would I bother? This seems exhausting. Like, I would much rather just go do what I want to do and then, you know, get to go to heaven and be happy for eternity, right? Hmm. Well, the author of Hebrews knows that uh, what we hope for might not be fully realized. Maybe only partially realized. There are some people who are going to inherit what's promised, heaven. They're going to inherit it. There's some people who won't inherit it. They just might get to go inside. I've got a picture here of uh, Mar-a-Lago. I don't know if you... I, I had never really heard anything. I didn't even know who Trump was <laughs> before he started like trying to become president. I was like, what, what is going on? Who is this guy? Um, and I certainly didn't know anything about Mar-a-Lago. Um, but since, since in the intervening seven years of craziness, um, <laughs> I learned that uh, Mar-a-Lago, it's, it's President Trump's, um, it's his, like his main residence. I guess he's got a lot because he's like a billionaire or something. Uh, but this is the place he, he lives. He, he, he got it in the 80s. Originally, it was built in the 1920s by this um, this like billion, like a millionaire, whatever lady, uh, she died in 1973. She gave uh, Mar-a-Lago to the state of Florida. It was like a, I guess it was like a historical site or something. And I guess in the 80s, somehow Trump managed to convince the state of Florida to sell it to him, and he turned it into a resort and a club. Now, he he doesn't live anywhere that you can see in this picture. Apparently, he lives in a special, like even more opulent uh, estate that's off to the side. And, and most people can't even get into Mar-a-Lago. You have to be like a member of the club or you have to like contract with somebody who is a member of the club. And so there's people who, who spend time there. No one I don't think actually lives there except for Trump, but there's people who spend you know, lots of time there. And, and there's also people who work there. Right? They're the ones who uh, you can't keep something like that up without like a whole lot of labor. Right, so there, there's there's three different types of people who are at Mar-a-Lago. There's, there's there's the owners, right, who get to do whatever they want and live in the the best, and then there's the uh, the, the the visitors, the, the the members. They're members of the club, uh, and then there's there's the people, the help. They're the people who keep the club going. So if you were going to Mar-a-Lago and you wanted all the dreams of the greatest resort ever to be fully realized. If you wanted to inherit Mar-a-Lago rather than just entering Mar-a-Lago, what would you have to do? Well, you'd have to be a member of the family if you wanted to inherit it, be fully realized. You'd have to be deep within Trump's circle. And failing that, maybe, maybe you don't quite get that far, you don't quite achieve that, but, but, but you, do, you do snag a membership and you get to, to, to enjoy the fruits of Mar-a-Lago. And failing that, if you just wanted to see the inside, you could get a job, clean some toilets. The author of Hebrews and really the whole New Testament, Jesus included, teach continuously that reward awaits the faithful. You know, if you think of heaven as Mar-a-Lago, which I don't, but if you did, uh, you would see that, that heaven is going to have people who fully inherit it. And it's going to have people who just get in. Heaven's going to have people whose dreams are fully realized because they have been transformed into the image of Christ and their love 
knows no bounds, then there are going to be people who just barely make it. And if you're wondering why it is that you should keep helping, keep assisting, even when you get tired, even when you see the disappointment, even when it gets rough, even when you look at your own past and history and think, how can I possibly be forgiven for all this? When, it, when, it, when, it, when you can't look yourself in the eye and you're wondering, why am I going to keep going? That's the last thing in your note sheets. Don't quit. It'll be worth it when you see your heavenly digs. That's the thing. It's, it's going after people. That's what we're called to do. That's how we show God how much we love him, is when we go after his people. We walk beside them. We live with them. We, we weep with them. We laugh with them. We baptize them. We make them a part of our family. That's how we show our love for God. I'm going to leave you with this. We got, a, we got our baptism celebration Sunday uh, coming up, not next week, or is it next week? What is it? Two weeks from now. Uh, I encourage everyone here who has not been baptized, who wants to make a declaration that you're following Jesus, let me know. I'll, I'll dunk you. It is awesome. It'll encourage everyone. The water is not too cold. It's, it's, it's great. And for those of you who are like, you know, thinking about maybe like getting off the fence and becoming a member, I want you to understand that there's, there's churches where membership is like this super intense thing. Where they're like, you're a member? Let me see your, your, your tax return. Right? Okay. That's not us. All right. Membership is just like, oh, you've believed in Jesus and this, and you think of this as your home. That's it. That's it. It's, but what it, what it is, is it's saying, hey, this is my family and I want to be deep here. And so I super encourage any of you, uh, just go to our website. Uh, you can click on how to become a member or something like that. You can fill out a form and, uh, you meet with the elders. It's a super simple thing. You just talk about, uh, you know, following, like loving Jesus and, and just that's it. There's nothing more to it. And then as a bonus, once you become a member, you get to vote on my salary next year. Okay? So, (laughs) with that, go after people. Don't quit. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you that you came after us. You chased us all the way down into the grave. All the way through pain. to say, I love you, I forgive you. I have a destiny for you. I have a way of living that's made just for you. God, may we just be in love with you. May we go deeper and deeper into all of the the things holding salvation. Just the bigness and the, and the, the broadness and the depth of salvation, of being rescued in every possible way by you. Holy Spirit, change our hearts. Give us love. Love for, for, for God. Love for each other. Empower us to be a, a helper's assistance to walk alongside. God, may we be a church that's intentional about seeing people change, grow, deepen, become more like what we're supposed to be. And may in that diligence we prepare 
a powerful, beautiful place for ourselves in your home, God, the place where we truly are citizens. May we inherit everything you've promised. May we have our hope be fully, fully realized in faithfulness. Jesus, we love you.